You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Thank you for that. Um, I want to share a little bit um, about myself this morning. I'm one of those people who love facts and statistics. Uh, For example, to help prepare for today, I actually wrote about 15 pages of notes um, on the scriptures we'll talk about today. And so if you want to, you know, take a look and glimpse into my psyche, feel free to email me. Um, And there's also this leadership book, it's called uh, Strength Finders. And of my top five strengths, four of them uh, talk about thinking logically or learning or creative thinking. And so I'm the guy who likes to watch the director's commentary when watching movies. Like, they made that for me. If you're ever wondering, why do they have this stupid thing? Now you know, it's because I watch them. Um, The fun and frustrating thing about this, besides being annoying and sometimes analytical, is that every now and then there's a fact that just sticks out. Now as I was preparing for this weekend, I I was on a completely different route and then all of a sudden, God took me another, uh, another way, and, and something hit me, and, and I couldn't let it go. And it came when I discovered the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Does anyone know what that scripture is? What Old Testament text is quoted word for word more directly than all the others? All right, so there are a lot of Old Testament scriptures that were important to Hebrews at the time the New Testament was written. Uh, There were some that they even had inscribed on scrolls, and they placed them around their homes, on their door frames, on their clothing. You know, surely it'd be one of these passages. Or maybe it's a prophecy about Jesus, something like Isaiah, his virgin birth, his crucifixion. You know, we think it'd be something obvious like one of these texts. But no, it's none of these. This scripture, this scripture is one that is quoted word for word the most by the early church. It's not even a whole verse. It's just one phrase of one verse. And that verse is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Leviticus, it's probably the second most boring book of the Bible next to Numbers. So, you know, no offense to God and his word or anything. But but sometimes I struggle to find application when I'm reading Leviticus. It's like, you know, trying to find application when you're reading the owner's manual of your old Buick Skylark that you don't even own anymore. You know, it's one of those books that, you know, your eyes hit it and then five minutes later you realize that you actually haven't been reading. You've just been zoning out the whole time. But in the middle of all these commands and and all these rules about how to live for God in a very ungodly time, we stumble across these five words, five words that are said to sum all of this up, and those five words are, love your neighbor as yourself. What passage did the New Testament writers make sure to say over and over and over again because the early church just didn't get it? What passage did Jesus quote as being of the utmost importance? What passage did both James and Paul say summed up and fulfilled the entirety of the Jewish law? It was these five words. We need to love those around us. Today we will look at a few of the passages where this scripture is referenced in the New Testament, and we will learn how to live 
uh, how to love more fully, not putting, you know, rules on love or picking favorites and, and never stopping to love others no matter how many times they may hurt us. But before we jump into our first point, point, let's take a look at the most famous passage that uses this scripture. Um, if you'd like to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 22. At this point, Jesus had been challenged several times by the religious leaders of his day. They were trying to find fault in him, trying to get him to mess up. Because if he did, then they would have reason to get rid of him or dismiss him or ignore him. And this passage is the third and final challenge by them to throw him off his game and to find fault with him and his ministry. So let's take a look at Matthew 22. Um, it says, starting in verse 36, teacher, which commandment is um, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you. You are amazing. You are awesome. You are wonderful. And we thank you for this command of love. We pray that we would be challenged today. We would be inspired today. And we just open ourselves to be used by you. Uh, pour into us. Speak to us. Challenge us today to leave um, as different people than who we walked in as today. Um, we give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in your name. Amen. So the first thing we learn about loving our neighbors is that loving others has no fine print. Have you ever found one of those deals that seemed like it was too good to be true? You're surfing the web, or you're reading a catalog, or maybe you're checking Craigslist or eBay, and there it is. It's the deal of a lifetime. So you instantly jump on it, knowing that if you don't, someone else will. And excitingly, you go to pick up the item, and then you find out that it is nothing like the pictures the seller posted online. Or it arrives in the mail and you realize quickly that it's a very obvious knockoff of what you were hoping for. We live in a world where people try to trick others by leaving out certain details or flaws. We live in a world where sometimes people try to find every way around a rule as possible. And this command to love others isn't an exception. The interesting thing about this passage and why it surprised me that it was quoted so much in the New Testament was that often people write off loving others. They see it as kind of a second-class command instead of the second greatest commandment. So imagine if this passage in Matthew, instead of saying something like, and the second one is like it, can you say, and the second one, let's say that together, and the second one is like it. Imagine it said, and the second one is different. Or maybe... You know, oh, oh, and the second one, it's insignificant. That's sometimes how I feel we treat this passage. And as I was studying this passage this week, I learned that Jesus was actually linking these two commandments together. When he says the word second, it isn't second in importance. It's more like a second half. It's like you finished your favorite book and realized that they made a sequel. It's awesome. So Jesus was intending these two commands to be linked together as one, loving God and loving our neighbor. So let's read another passage where loving our neighbor is referenced. This one, it was written by Jesus' brother James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And uh, this was his take on the passage. This is James chapter 2, and it starts in verse 8. It says, If you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. 
For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. One thing I think people confuse about loving others is that loving others, it's more than just a feeling. Love is more than a feeling, and we know that, first of all, because it was a command from Jesus himself. Jesus, asked, uh, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, and he told us, he said, we need to love people. Feelings sometimes can't be controlled. I mean, if you drive with me in the car for less than five minutes, you'll have firsthand experience of that. Um, I don't think anyone has ever commanded me to feel a certain way, and yet here is Jesus commanding people to love others. Even James realizes, he says that this is a royal law, that it is a law given and commanded by the king of the Jews, Jesus himself. And he says that those who follow this command are what? Feeling right? No, he says that those who follow this command are doing the right thing. So even taking it one step further, Jesus follows this passage about, um, or James follows this passage about uh, loving our neighbors and starts talking about the differences between those who say they follow Jesus and those who actually follow him. He crescendos to a high point um, in James where he says that faith without deeds is dead. So loving others means actually doing something for them. It means going out of our way to make a difference in their day. It means sacrificing something in our own lives without expecting anything in return. So what kind of marriage would I have if I told Kyle I loved her, but I never cleaned the house or did the laundry or told her how much I appreciated her? Would it be healthy for us to never spend time together or, or never talk about our day? Or what if we never went on dates? Does it sound like I love her? But that's how we treat others. The crazy thing about people who see loving others as a second-class command is that they miss the fact that it's impossible to follow the greatest commandment if they aren't following this one. It's impossible to love God and not love his creation at the same time. And so don't believe me, think about it. James says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So think of it this way. Who was the one that commanded people to love their neighbors? It wasn't me. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't James. It wasn't Moses or anyone else. God was the one who commanded us to love others. So how can we not follow a command that God gave multiple times throughout Scripture and then say we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's ridiculous, but that's, that's how we treat it. The only reason this command is second is because anyone can love others. Even people who don't have a relationship with God, they love other people. But you can't follow the first commandment to love God with all you are and then to not follow this one. It's impossible. So even if I learn everything that is humanly possible to learn about God, even if I do my Bible reading daily and spend a normal amount of time um, in prayer with him, you know, every morning, even if I attend church every week and send my kids to youth group and I serve regularly in church in the community, if I fail to love others, none of that matters because I'm still not loving God with all that I am, because I'm not loving those who are made in his image. 
But loving others, it's more than that. Loving others has no fine print, and loving others means not picking favorites. And so we've all seen this scene, you know, whether on a television show or a movie or, or in real life. A group of kids, they come together in an empty lot out in the playground or, you know, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood, and teams begin getting divided. You know, there's a game about to ensue, and the two captains take turns picking kids to join the team. And you can see that one kid, you know, he's getting antsy, and, you know, his fingers are kind of restless, and, but he's trying to stay still to not show how nervous he is. And he's intently staring at each captain, his eyes almost bouncing back and forth like a ping-pong ball, hoping that one of them will make eye contact with him and that he would be their next pick. And the group gets smaller and smaller and smaller until there are just two left. And like clockwork, we all know what happens. That kid gets picked last, and he hangs his head low like Charlie Brown, and he walks to the team that was forced to choose him. You know, it's almost like I can describe this story from experience. Most people in Jesus' audience and, and in Jesus' time, they, they understood what it meant to love others. They understood that it meant caring for their needs and looking out for their general welfare. But the big question many of them wondered, the one that could be argued over and over and over again, was asking who their neighbor was. They saw this cosmic game being played out and sides were being picked. And they wanted to know who was considered to be on their team. So here's, what we find, uh, here's where we find the next story that talks about loving our neighbor. Um, and it's located in Luke chapter 10. A lawyer and Jesus are having this kind of back and forth about what the lawyer needs to do to gain eternal life. And it's funny, again, in this passage, uh, we hear that love is more than a feeling. This guy is wondering what he must do. So after a little bit of back and forth between the two, the lawyer sees that he needs to love his neighbor, but he tries to make Jesus stumble and to gain the upper hand. And so that's where we'll start. It's in Luke chapter 10, and it's in verse 29 where we'll start, and it says, but he wanted to justify himself, and this is the lawyer. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And replied, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The first thing that stood out to me in, is that uh, 
Jesus, he took kind of a weird approach to answer this guy's question. Instead of telling him who he should treat as a neighbor, he told a story and asked which person treated the other as a neighbor. We sometimes think of being a neighbor as helping others, but Jesus turned it around and asked who we would be willing to accept help from. And the startling thing is that if situations are dire enough, we would receive anyone as a neighbor. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across, that loving our neighbor even goes beyond, it goes beyond a person's relationship with God. Regardless of what they think about God, we know what God thinks about them, that he loves them because they are made in his image. Because here's the thing, Jews, they hated Samaritans. And here you have a Jewish person of wealth asking who he should treat as a neighbor. And the story talks about how two of the highest people in Jewish society, how they walked right by him. In his world, these guys, those two, they were his neighbors. These men were his friends. These men were the ones who were well-respected by everybody. Yet in this story, those were the people who avoided him. And the man who came to his need was his enemy. It was the person he tried to avoid himself. It was someone he probably despised. And it's interesting that the two men who were expected to help, they did nothing. The path Jesus was describing it was a popular path and one that was regularly known for having robbers, but also one known for having people of religious notoriety. But the people who were ex uh, expected to stop instead avoided the man in need. And it makes me wonder if, if there are people around us who we might be avoiding as well. There are a couple of reasons why these men, uh, they might not have stopped. And one is that maybe they thought he was dead and they didn't want to become unclean. And if that happened, they wouldn't be able to do their duties in the temple. And, and how often do we do that? We see someone in need or we have a friend who's struggling, but, but we're afraid to enter their mess. Or we have places to go and maybe people to see or, or things to do. But Jesus showed that's not how a neighbor behaves. And uh, when I took my first ministry as a young adult pastor, I, I had to enter people's messes. And, and even visiting some of my former students not so long ago, um, I'm with them as they're smoking weed and talking about struggling in life. And, and I've had to navigate dealing with students who slept together while at young adults events and um, students who were driving other students around while intoxicated, uh, students who offered youth drugs, and, and I even had to talk to others who were considering about committing suicide. Because that's what loving your neighbor means. It means entering their mess and knowing you might have to get your hands dirty along the way. We can't avoid others because we're afraid to get messy. Another reason these religious leaders, they may not have helped, is that maybe they were afraid to get robbed. They see this guy half beaten, and they can assume that maybe the assailants, you know, aren't far off. Maybe they're watching to see if someone will stop and help, and then boom, they can get another, uh, another person's uh, stuff. Um, so they put their own safety and, and their own comfort in front of their neighbors. And they were too worried about themselves to think about the man who was left beaten, naked, and dying in a ditch. And I think sometimes we get so caught up with life that we never take a moment to look around and to see the people who are in need around us. Or, or maybe we see their needs and, and see their pain, but we have issues of our own and we feel like there's nothing we can do to help. 
But Jesus uses this story of the Good Samaritan to show that we need to set our own comfort and safety aside for the sake of others. When I was in college, I actually I went on a missions trip, uh, believe it or not, to the Bahamas. And um, you would think the Bahamas, like, ooh, fun tourist attraction. Like, I bet you really did a lot of ministry. Um, but the students we worked with were from the inner city. So on one occasion, word had gotten out uh, to me that one of the students there, his name was Kimron, um, he had a knife and he was threatening some of the other students with it, saying that he would stab them. And uh, what I soon found out was that Kimron had actually inherited his uncle's drug dealing business after his uncle was shot and killed. And it was just kind of by happenstance uh, through a friend who went to this church that Kimron was even at this camp um, that we were running, and it was a camp that was in, on a deserted island in the middle of the ocean. So knowing that I kind of built up a rapport with him and knowing um, that, you know, if I maybe was too strong-armed and, you know, brought others with me that he could freak out and pull out his knife on us, I pulled him aside and I kind of talked with him one-on-one. Um, and after witnessing to him and hearing his story and sharing the good news with him, um, I, I politely and asked, hey, by the way, will will you give me the knife that you have? (laughs) And without hesitation, believe it or not, he gave it to me. But loving others sometimes isn't safe. So at the end of this story, when Jesus asks him which one was the neighbor to the man in need, the guy, he couldn't even muster up the dignity to say the word Samaritan. All he said was, the one who had mercy on him. Ouch. Jesus showed him the area of his life where he wasn't willing to love his neighbor. If the tables were turned, Jesus was showing the man that he wouldn't have done the same for a Samaritan. But in a time of need, anyone is our neighbor. And we need to see it that way too. When we say we love others, but we don't befriend anyone who is different than us, it's sad. We don't take the time to get to know our neighbors. We, we just complain that they're too loud or that they smoke or that they drink or that they yell at their kids. Even though we frequent the, gas, uh, the same gas station every week, we don't know the employee who works there. We don't know their story or maybe how they have to swing two jobs to provide for their kids. Do we see these people at us, our neighbors? Do we treat them like this man treated the Samaritans? What we learn from this passage is that God wants us to love all people, regardless of their race, their ethnicity, or their gender. Jesus was showing this man his own prejudice. He was showing him where he failed to love. And he was telling him that it wasn't right. If he would be willing to accept aid from a Samaritan in times of duress, then why wouldn't he do the same? Why did he still see Samaritans as second-class citizens? The Good Samaritan teaches us to love everyone, regardless of their race and ethnicity. But the story of James from earlier teaches us to love others, regardless of wealth, social status, or prominence. And James was writing the church because there was a division there between the rich and the poor. And in the middle of talking about this dilemma and how the church was favoring the wealthy people in their midst, James wrote this passage about loving our neighbors. 
And another passage we'll read um, in a moment from Romans was written right after Paul encouraged the church to honor people in places of authority and officials in government. So loving others, it means not picking favorites. Um, and I don't know if you know this or not, but there's no passage that says, love the sinner and hate the sin. There's only a passage that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can't tell by looking at me, um, I love food. I don't know if you can tell. Um, I love food. And I like trying different types of food, going to different places, and so on and so on. And um, if you go um, to a small group I lead, you may even hear me ask what your favorite restaurant or, or thing to eat at that restaurant uh, is during an icebreaker or, or something like that. I don't really care. I'm just trying to find out the next restaurant I'm going to go to, I'll be honest. So there you go. Uh, but for me, sharing food, it's a big deal. And it may be because, uh, maybe because I grew up uh, not having a lot, or it may be because just how much I like food. Um, but I don't like sharing food with people. I ordered what I ordered because it's what I wanted to eat. So step off or get stabbed in the hand by a fork. <laughs> well, one time... A group of friends and I, we were in Portland, Oregon, and one of our first stops was this famous donut shop. And this place, it was nationally known. And when we got there, there was already a line around the block. And after waiting for over an hour, we all ended up getting our donuts and headed to get some coffee close by. And, and on our way, we passed by a group of homeless people who, uh, who were around our age. And, and one of them, they were just gawking over our donuts, asking if they came from this place that's so coveted in the community. And, and that's when I did the unthinkable. I offered this dirty, smelly stranger who probably hadn't brushed his teeth in weeks a bite of my donut. A bite, yes, which I think is worse. I should have gave him the whole thing, but I didn't want to wait another hour. Um, so this wasn't just a normal donut. I had... I had to hold this donut with two hands because it was so big. And not only that, it was filled with Bavarian cream. And so there was definitely going to be some cross-contamination happening here. Um, there's no way to do this well. But I did it. And you know what? I'm pretty sure I made that guy's day. There was this other time, uh, I had an lay, uh, Amtrak layover in Chicago, and it was my first time in the city, and I had only one objective. Um, I wanted, no, I needed to get a deep dish pizza, because I never had one before. So after walking around the city for a while and seeing the bean and hitting an art museum, I stopped at Giordano's for a deep dish pizza pizza. And if you know anything about deep dish pizza, you know that it takes about 45 minutes to make to be able to cook through and get all that cheese melty. So, so this took a huge portion of my time in the city, and it definitely did not come cheap, if you know anything about deep dish pizza. So as I made my way back to the train, I literally ran into a woman who just made it from a layover um, on another train, and she had just made it in the nick of time. And so as we chatted, we were, uh, she was lamenting about not being able to get out and get a deep dish pizza herself. And, and she had actually gotten stuck in the snow out west, 
And it was already a couple of days that she was behind on her trip, and so uh, she wanted to make sure that she didn't miss her next stop. So what did I do? I gave her half of my pizza. Like, why wouldn't I? Who am I to deny someone the cheesy and delicious creation known as the deep dish pizza? So maybe these aren't the greatest examples of love, but I know they meant something to the people in the moment. That's what loving your neighbor as yourself, that's what it means. It means treating them with the same dignity and respect that you offer yourself. And sometimes it means treating someone to a bite of a donut or a slice of a pizza. But it isn't our decision to choose who to love. We are to love everybody in every situation, whether it's someone on the street or someone on the train or someone at work or even an ex-spouse. We offer them the same respect we'd offer ourselves because loving others means not picking favorites. But loving others, it also has no limits. For how long? For how long do we have to love someone? To what extent must we show them love? It's easy to say we're off the hook because we put a dime in the cup or, or we made a passing compliment or because, you know, we gave to a charitable organization. But what we'll learn is that loving others, it has no limits. There's no ending to it. That's something that Paul says when he wrote about loving others in Romans chapter 13. And you're talking about taxes and repaying people and borrowing money from others, Paul takes a moment to talk about loving others and how it relates to the Jewish law. And so this is what he says. It's in Romans 13, starting in verse 8. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love no, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let no debt remain uh, outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That means that there are no limits to how far and how long we are to love people. And I love how Paul ropes this in with paying taxes, and I'm sure this scripture puts a grin on Pastor Ben's face. Um, let no debt remain outstanding. We all know how he feels about debt. It sucks. Um, but Paul, essentially, he's saying that we should be in debt to no one but we should be indebted to everyone. Loving others is a debt we will never be able to fully repay because the price that Jesus paid for our freedom is a cost deeper than any love we could ever give. Jesus died for our sins and the sins of all mankind for all of eternity. No matter how many things we do wrong, we have forgiveness because of Jesus. His love is truly eternal. Even though Jesus was innocent, he took a punishment marked for only the most guilty and sinister of people. So who are we to not forgive the person who cut us off on the highway or the coworker who took our promotion? Because we're forever indebted to God. We are forever indebted to love. Jesus said that the law and the prophets, they hang 
on these two commands, to love God and to love others. Paul here says that love is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. And so think about what that really means. It means that all the little nuances and all the rules that the Pharisees argued about daily, they didn't matter. It means that all these stupid doctrinal differences that we have with other churches are pointless. Jesus and Paul, they took the whole Old Testament and summed it up in two easy commands. Think of someone trying to sum up your favorite book or your favorite movie in one word or one small phrase. Think of all these popular teen novels, you know, that were getting made into movies not too long ago being described this way. Oh, you know, this one is about this really, really old, creepy vampire fighting over this teenage girl with a werewolf. Oh, and this one, this one's about a wizard who fails to kill another wizard for like 20 years. Oh, and this one, man, this one, it's about kids who kill each other, but then decide to band together and destroy the government or something. The Bible, the Old and New Testament combined, it has 66 books, nearly 1,200 chapters, with over 31,000 verses. You heard how stupid it was to describe a book series in one sentence? How much harder would it be to describe a book written by over a dozen authors over the span of nearly a millennia? Apparently, it's not that hard. Paul used one word, just one, and that word was love. So, I want to ask you this morning, who is your neighbor? Who's the neglected person you've overlooked? Who's the celebrity or the politician you've been bashing on the internet? What situations do you try to avoid? What person have you purposefully been ignoring so that you don't have to forgive them? We don't get to write the fine print on who to love. We don't get to pick and choose who we are kind to or who we get to lend a helping hand to. And we just don't do one small act of kindness and call it done. We need to see that our neighbor is the person whose car is broken down on the side of the road. Our neighbor is our waitress or our hostess at the restaurant we'll go to after service. Our neighbor is that loud and obnoxious person at the office. So who will be your neighbor this week? I wanted to challenge everyone this week, and, and this is something uh, that you could do individually or maybe even something you can do as a family. Um, but I thought we could do a week dedicated to loving others. Awesome, right? What do you guys think? Are you guys okay with that? You guys sound so enthusiastic. So, I actually got this idea. It is from, uh, well, not this the idea of what we're doing each day is from a book by Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages. And each day this next week, um, I thought that it would be great if we were intentional to love people in different ways. So um, we'll post something on Facebook each day to remind you of what you're supposed to do. But feel free uh, to write these down if you'd like. Monday will be all about encouragement. So compliment someone. You know, tell them you like their shirt or maybe they have a nice smile. Let them know that you've seen how hard they've been working lately or, or that they've been really doing a great job, you know, at work. Write a few maybe thank you cards to people and just thank them for, hey, you're an awesome friend. Thanks. Ta-da, you did it. Uh, Tuesday, I thought it would be great 
if we could lend a helping hand. So this is elbow grease. This is giving someone your time and your resources. So maybe it's going to a coworker and asking them if there's anything they need. Or if you're a student or you know, um, in high school or middle school, ask your parents if there are any chores that you need to do. Or even better, maybe you should just do them without asking. How about that? <laughs> Amen. Find a way to lend a helping hand. Wednesday, um, we get to show some people some love. But let's not be weird about this one, because this one can be a little weird. So give someone a high five or a fist bump or a pat on the back. Maybe take an extra moment and actually really intentionally kiss your spouse when you're walking out of the door instead of doing that quick, like, middle school pet kiss that you normally do uh, before going to work. And Thursday, uh, spend some time with someone. Quality time. You know, maybe one of your kids are going through a rough time. Take them out to dinner or maybe play catch with them or, or do a puzzle with them. Schedule lunch with a friend who you haven't seen in a long time. Or maybe, maybe just decide that you aren't going to be on your phone today because you want to be present and you want to be with people. Crazy, I know. So Friday, I thought it would be awesome if you could give someone a gift. You know, buy the person in line behind you their coffee, pay for the person's next order in the drive-through, or maybe bring donuts into the office. What a great way, you know, to go into the weekend, or, or surprise your wife with flowers, or your husband with steak, or with flowers. I don't know what they like, but you know, you know, so you pick. Remember, this is the Old Testament scripture that the early church needed to be reminded of the most. Of all the things that needed to be brought to their attention, this one mattered. It mattered a lot, that they needed to love people. When I was growing up, there was a kid uh, down the road from me, and, and my friends and him, uh, my friends and I, we used to pick on him all the time um, on the bus, and, and he was kind of nerdy and, and wore glasses, and he was younger than us. So anytime we were on the bus, he was subject to ridicule. And, and that's just, I mean, it's just how buses work, if you know. You're, you either pick on others or you get picked on. And I didn't want to be on the other side of that border. And so I kind of partook. And so when I started going to church, uh, what blew me away most was that this kid's family offered to give me a ride to church. My parents didn't go to church at the time, and, and neither did my sisters. So this mom and dad, who knew that I picked on their son almost every day, would pick me up in their van, and with me and him in it together, would take me to youth group every single week. They got it. When will we? When will we get it? Let's take this week each day strive to follow this list and live selflessly to love those around us. Let's love the people who are the hardest to love. Because loving others, it's not different. No, it shouldn't be insignificant. But loving our neighbors should be of the utmost importance. Will you stand with me this morning and let's just take a moment and pray and seek God. Jesus, we thank you that you are the embodiment of love. 
that in your life and your proclamation to declare who you were as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you were continually distracted by people who were hurt, who were in need, that were looking for healing, that were looking for comfort, that were looking for answers. We thank you that you never, you never shooed them away. We thank you that you are a God who loved everyone equally. Help us today to search our hearts and to think of that one person or maybe in, in what situations we fail to love. Help us to be people who are known by how we love others. Whether in the walls of these church, uh, in this church, or, or out in the community. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory and honor. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's just take a moment to seek him this morning. As we were singing this response song, my mind went to Philippians chapter 2. I want to just read a couple of those scriptures. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. That's love. It says, not looking for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And in your relationships with one another, what does it say? Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, what we just sang about, that we're building our lives on the foundation that Jesus provides. He's our example. Pastor Bobby, challenge accepted. Five days, five different ways. If you're on Facebook, let's track with Pastor Bobby this week and let's do this. Let's go above and beyond. Let's get a good grade this week, okay? You can do it. We can do this. I did feel, as you're speaking as well, Pastor Bobby, there are those that may be here this morning that are maybe full of bitterness. This is kind of the picture I had. Or maybe pain. You've been hurt. And you're having a hard time loving someone. And I just want to challenge you to take a step in the right direction. You don't have to figure it all out in one foul swoop, but take a step in the right direction. That's what I felt like the Lord was impressing on my heart as Pastor Bobby was speaking. Take one step in the right direction. Do something to mend that relationship or to make, you know, to, to bless. Keep coals in their lap. Uh, do something nice, right? And then the last thing, the cross. This morning, I was reading yesterday's soap reading and today's because I missed yesterday. In 1 Corinthians, in our soap reading, it says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And this is a paraphrase I wrote in my journal. But to those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. And I just want to take a second here. explain that Jesus is love and he went to the cross he died on a cross for you 
when he was on the cross, the blood that he shed provided the way to forgiveness for your sins. And if you're carrying sin today, you don't need to walk out of these doors carrying that sin any longer. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And I just believe in a group this size that God is working in at least one or more people. And I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to just, you know, and I want this prayer to be yours. To give your heart to, to, to the Lord. To believe, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would save us. And God, that you would forgive us of our sin. Lord, we put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We thank you for what you did on the cross for us. You loved us more than we deserved. And God, I pray that as we put our eyes on you, we put our faith in you, Lord, that you would take our sin as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, and Lord, that you would forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, put our feet on a solid ground and help us, Lord, to be like you, to love others well. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are praying that prayer, saying, you know what, that's my prayer, I'm going to ask that you would just make your way, when we dismiss here in just a moment, to one of these tables, either here with Pastor Bruce or over here to Pastor Bobby, and I want you just to come just make yourself known. We want to pray with you. We've got some first steps. We've got some things that are important that if you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus to take the first step. And so just make your way. We won't keep you long. And then you can make it out for the rest of your day. Uh, but do that. Make yourself known. And for the rest of us, remember, we got five days, five love challenges, and we can do it. How many are going to do it with me? Come on. We can do this this week. You can do it, and you can get a good grade. Father, I pray that you go before us, behind us, and all around us. We thank you for capturing our hearts and our minds today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.